Person of Interest Podcast, episode number zero. Series recap and season four predictions. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Hello and welcome to Person of Interest Podcast. I'm Daryl. And I'm Doug. We are glad to have you with us as we give you a bit of the backstory of Person of Interest. If you're going to be watching it and either you've forgotten what's going on, it's easy to do, we all do it, or if season four will be the first time you've watched it, let's get you caught up. Yeah, that's right. So this is the first season that we have had a person of interest podcast on Golden Spiral Media, but not the first time that I've podcasted about person of interest and not the first time that you've podcasted about person of interest and not the first time that we've podcasted about person of interest together. <laughs> How's that? That's that's there's just too many coincidences here. You <laughs> Clearly we've done this before. Yes, well don't mistake coincidence for fate. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. It could have been predicted by the machine, I'm sure. Uh, well, I'm sure it has been. Yes. So we did all of last season and half of the... Second season, yeah. Second season, yeah, for TV Talk, which was a lot of fun. That's how you and I first met each other, really, isn't it? It was a blast. I was uh, very... I was so lucky to get paired up with you on that. It was wonderful, and we had a good time doing it. Yeah, now Doug has joined the, I was going to say the dark side. I don't want to refer to Golden Spiral <laughs> Media as the dark side. I, I love Golden Spiral Media. It's my company. You ought to, <laughs> you've, yeah. You've joined us this summer. You're doing Chester's Mill Gazette and uh, with, with Karen, of course. And I'm excited to be able to have person of interest on Golden Spiral Media, and I'm excited to be able to do it with you. The one challenge that we had doing it for TV Talk was the TV Talk system was designed to be 20-ish minute episodes and you and I just have too much to talk about to try to squeeze that into 20 minutes so we we seem to always push that limit I think we were one of the folks that really got a little too long going and I think we sometimes went 25 30 I, I wasn't sure if we actually you did a lot of hacking I had away to do a lot of editing yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of editing to get us down. it's it's tough to do because person of interest really is a uh from my perspective, a very intelligent show. Um, they don't uh, talk down to you, and it is, uh, th I mean, there's a lot going on, and it's not, um, there's a little humor in it. It's, it's some mm -hmm. good humor, but uh, but otherwise, it's just a very intelligent show. Lots to talk about. It was so hard to squish it down to 20 minutes. It was, and it's a show that has really ramped things up as it has progressed season upon season upon season. And I have the expectation that it will do even more of that this fourth season that we're getting ready to jump into. Well, the end of the last season was quite a game changer. We'll get to that in a bit. But uh, it really took the uh, took the show in a completely different direction. For example, I remember one time J. Michael Straczynski, who wrote Babylon 5, was saying that he, during that show was running, he says, something's going to happen. It's going to be really big. It's going to be like if the Klingons took over the Federation and it stayed that way forever. Well, that's... That's almost like what we have here, you know, uh, a really a corner was really turned you know, 90 degrees. It wasn't just a little, you know, bank off to the right. It is a completely different direction. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I am, too. To think about how the show started in season one being very serialized. It's it's it still has some serialized episodes here and there, but. Not nearly as much as it used to it be. It had to set up the situation, set up the characters, give give you some background on them, get you to know them, care about them, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I so I think that first that first season was really laying the foundation. And we had, we saw a little bit of the overarching um, story, but not a whole lot. But uh, yeah, as as the action has been rising, it has been really uh, coming to a peak here in season four. Yeah, indeed. 
Well, shall we get into it and talk about the premise of the show in case, uh, like you said, people have forgotten or maybe they're brand new to Person of Interest? Well, every episode, almost every episode, sometimes they don't, but every episode starts with some sort of narration uh, from Harold Finch. And he says, he said from the in the first season, and that gives you more of a background, he says, you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a machine that spies on you every hour of every day. I know because I built it. I designed the machine to detect acts of terror, but it sees everything. Violent crimes, including ordinary people, people like you. Crimes the government considered irrelevant. They wouldn't act, so I decided I would. But I needed a partner, someone with the skills to intervene. Hunted by the authorities, we work in secret. You'll never find us. But, victim or perpetrator, if your number's up, we'll find you. And that's how it basically starts. It has changed a little bit over the course of a few seasons. Um, but generally speaking, that's, uh, that sets up the premise of, uh, what's going on in the background. Yeah. And I wonder if that verbiage that you just recited there, how different that's going to be in season four. I can't wait to see what it does because that's, there's not really a cold opening with this show. There's usually that intro and then we get into the show because during the opening, they'll show a scene or two of the person of interest for that week. So every intro to every episode is different, at least in that aspect. And then they'll do episodes where it's glitchy or there's not one for, you know, the the episode we had where the machine was taken down and stuff. So I can't imagine that intro being very applicable for season four, but it's, it's changed a little bit, but I think it's, yeah, it's going to get a really big overhaul. I think so too. I think, I think it has to change at least in some degree. Well, we we talked about how it's a very procedural show, or at least it started out as a very procedural show. Almost case of the week, except in this show, they're called Numbers of the Week. And it was kind of a crime thriller. You got uh, John Reese, played by Jim Caviezel, who's the, the heavy gun-toting guy in the suit. You have the mastermind, the brains behind the operation, uh, played by Michael Emerson, and, and that's Harold Finch. And these are good guys out there trying to make the world a better place. But it's different from any other procedural that you've ever seen. And it, it took, for me, Doug, it took me a few episodes to, to really hook in. When we first saw the Elias character brought into the storyline, that was when the hook was set for me. And I think that was episode maybe six or so from season one. Yeah, about a third of the way into that, that first season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Reese has a CIA agent background. And when we first see him, he is he's out of the CIA. He's in a very dark place. He's, he's a homeless man with a full beard and really has no purpose in life. And that was really important. We, as we, the story unfolds, we'll learn that giving him a purpose was, was something very in, intentional on the part of uh, Finch. Uh, Finch is a software genius, a billionaire, although not sure how, how much money he has now. We'll talk about that, of course, as we go through. John really goes through it quickly, doesn't he? Well, and at the end of the ep- of season four with the uh, the situation. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder where all this cash yeah. is now, yes. Yeah, so they get a serial number every week, and the serial number, or the, excuse me, the social security number, not a serial number, uh, and the social security number um, lines up with a person, and it, they get it from the machine. The machine is telling them that this person is a person of interest, and they don't know if it's a, if they're a good person and they need to protect someone or if it's a bad person that they need to get off the streets and they have to kind of figure that out. And that was really the fun game that we played early on was, was this, was the number going to be good or bad? And uh, Finch did build the machine because he was trying to detect terrorism. Originally, the idea was he was the brains behind the, the, uh, the project and his part- partner, Nathan Ingram, uh, was kind of the sales guy. And they ultimately sold this machine to the U.S. government for a dollar because it was mostly a um, I guess it was sort of a, a project of, of passion, just something to just because he wanted to do the right thing. And ultimately, like I said, Nathan uh, sold it to the government for a buck. But this machine can tap into any street camera, any webcam, security camera. Uh, so it sees everything and it has been designed to understand human behavior um, based on the words, based on the actions, and that sort of thing. And it tries to predict who's going to be violent. And, of course, the government wanted to protect the United States uh, from terrorists, but the machine sees it all. 
and so it's it 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 considers certain you know the government considered certain threats relevant but the irrelevant ones the machine who's has become more and more um sentient shall we say self-aware would keep in touch with finch and send him the numbers of people who were irrelevant but might be a victim or a perpetrator of you know uh, of of a murder as well so that's the two different things the machine was doing the government would get these numbers and have to figure it out themselves as well but you know but it's kept in touch with uh with finch because especially at the beginning of the we see it in a few flashbacks where finch and ingram were caught in an explosion that killed nathan and has crippled uh, uh finch mm-hmm. and so that was kind of the impetus finch would, did not want to play god but when he realized that the Machine was giving him Nathan's number at one point, and he didn't do anything about it. And he had second thoughts. That's right. Yeah, definitely changed his tune on that. So in season one, the cast has to grow. It's not going to be just these two guys. They 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 need some help, too. They need somebody on the inside of the police force that can supply them with information and resources as needed. And so they kind of draw in two of the detectives uh, Detective Joss Carter, she was fantastic, and a dirty cop named Lionel Fusco. And they start using Fusco and Carter, and Carter and Fusco don't realize that both of them are being used by Team Machine uh, for quite a while. Fusco gets out of his dirty cop ways, though, over time, which is which has been a great story arc for him. And he was a dirty cop really being manipulated by, or he was trying to become a clean cop, but still being manipulated by the HR organization, which was this this organization within the police force that were were all dirty cops, corrupt to the top of of the city. And that was, I was glad to see HR get taken down and out of the picture last season, which was something you and I talked about from the beginning. We hoped would happen. It did happen. But a very unfortunate result of that is not really getting caught in the crossfire, but after the big HR battle was was fought and won, one person remained alive, or or two, I guess two, uh, although one of them was in jail, uh, and the one remaining that the lead police officer shot and killed Detective Carter from behind like a coward, and she died, and that was, and that was a heartbreaking episode when she died. A lot of fans were very upset at that. Yeah, but that's what made it. See, we had plenty of time to get to know her, to understand her, uh, to see her uh, chase them down in the first season, and once she finds out what's going on, helping them out in the second season, and so we mm-hmm. really had uh, a connection there, and and that's that's I think one of the uh, the beauties of this uh, of the writing of this is that you really do uh, you know the characters well enough. There are there's there's been enough uh, history. Uh, enough episodes to actually get into their head a bit and understand you know how they think and 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 to care about them and then and then, then this happens and it was a, it's a big fan outcry because of that but uh, yeah there was but it but it it uh, it it made an impact yeah yeah and it definitely made the show you know when you lose a main character like that the show earns some credibility as much as you hate to see it you know it shows you that there are real things at stake and, and that there are no sacred cows when it comes to the main characters of the show. Now I say that with a little bit of a caveat, cause I do still feel like Reese and Finch are sacred cows, but who knows, you know, this, it wouldn't surprise me totally if, if one of them got the bad end of a bullet, but, but it would surprise me greatly. I mean, but not completely. Yeah. Yeah. So in season three, we also saw the rise of a second computer artificial intelligence it was codenamed Samaritan, and it was uh, run by a fellow named John Greer, who's the head of Decima Technologies. Now, in the first two seasons, we saw Greer occasionally show up in uh, John Reese's backstory. We didn't know exactly who he was or what he was doing, but as we find out later, he's uh, he's kind of the head of this this group. Now, he stole the essentially stole the uh, Samaritan code from a friend of Harold Finch's. Who was working on the same sort of thing as as Harold was, but didn't know about it, didn't realize mm-hmm. that. Um, and whereas Harold's machine uh, was programmed with some sense of ethics, some sense of caring about humanity, Samaritan either never had it or it was uh, removed by the Decima folks. So uh, the government's program at one point using Finch's machine was 
it had its cover blown, essentially. It was no longer a, a secret program, and the outcry from the public was to you know, take it down, so they did. But Greer is in the background there saying, okay, now that we've lost that, we can use my uh, my little thing. He uh, he didn't sell, in this case, you know, we said that uh, Finch sold the machine for a buck, but that meant the government controlled it. Well, Greer's not that way. He is not selling Samaritan to them, but just allowing the government to use it while he keeps control. It gives him full access to the uh, entire uh, programming. And at the end of the season, Samaritan finally comes online. I thought at, when, it was, when it started happening, I thought we were going to see the climax was going to be how it was taken down. But no, no, no. It actually <laughs> comes online, and that's even even worse. Yeah. And, yeah. and the first people who are targeted are our friends on um, what we've come to know as Team Machine. Yeah. And, of course, Greer was behind the outing, if you will, of, of the team machine machine so that he could then have a public outcry of, of uh, insecurity and then slide his own thing in there. He's find really a, find a need or create a need and fill exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. Uh, he's so creative or, or clever and, and, uh, slick. <laughs> well, there's another group called vigilance that, uh, we first met, I think at the end of season two. Yeah. And, they were this, they kind of styled themselves as a, a group of freedom fighters that were against, you know, this prevalent surveillance that the government was doing. They knew about the machine and were trying to get privacy back to the American public. And then throughout the course of season three, we discover that this guy named Collier, who is kind of the the head of, of vigilance, really, or the the guy who's on the front most of the time. And he was recruited by somebody, we don't know who, to head up Vigilance. And then in the season finale, we learn that Greer, the guy we just talked about <laughs> that was uh, has Samaritan and the head of Decima Technologies, Greer is the puppet master. He used Vigilance as a patsy. And then he convinced the government that groups like you know, them were justified uh, to use the use of Samaritan. And so he created, like you just said, Doug, he he created the problem so that he could offer the solution. And again, he's just so slick and no one ever saw it coming. However, we are not without <laughs> our own uh, brilliant folks on, the, in addition to Finch, on a team machine side of things. Uh there was a, a late arrival to uh, to our team, Samantha Groves, who goes by the uh, hacker name Root. And she uh, originally was, and we'll get a little more into this uh, later about her, some of her backstory, but she was, she was originally kind of against recent Finch and now has joined forces with him at the behest of the machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her, she's got a very interesting relationship with it. Anyway, she managed to get on site with where the Samaritan or where some of the Samaritan, Samaritan computers are and change information on all of our members of, uh, of Team Machine, redirecting them to some new identities that she created and that they now all have. So Samaritan, now with this, you know, planted information in there, concluded that these new identities, the, the new people that were, we, we, and we saw it actually kind of happen at the, uh, uh, graphically at the end of the, uh, season where they were, you know, they they were they had to be taken out and must be killed, and now all of a sudden they can be disregarded. So these new identities are going to be in place at the beginning of season four. So consider this as we introduce you to the names of the characters, because in this upcoming season, you may have to deal with two sets of names. They know each other's real names, though sometimes we're not even sure if Harold Finch is his real name and John <laughs> Reese is his real name. But anyway, have these names plus their new identities. So keep mm -hmm. that in mind. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they they have to have these new identities because once Machine was found out and, and Decima moved in with Samaritan, then they became public enemy number one, and which made for a great season finale. Uh, it was very intense. Well, I had heard, you know, when they were talking about this, uh, some of the actors in the show, uh, Sarah Shahi had said, who plays Shaw, she had said that, oh, this, uh, you know, season finale is going to be a game changer. Well, you hear that from actors right. all the time. Uh, <laughs> but but this time, no, I'm sorry. It was really a game changer. It changed the game completely. It really did. And 
like we said at the top of our podcast, in season one, this show was very procedural. It was fun. There were some story arcs that that were brought together to have a bigger picture for the entire story, but those were kind of salted here and there. And then in season two, there were a little fewer, you know, there were more of those, and so you kind of had to pay closer attention. And then season three was almost all arc heavy. I mean, you almost had to catch every single episode and and that's still very much the way I think season four is going to be where most of the episodes are going to tie together, at least initially because they've lost communication with the machine. Now the machine was shut down and they're now, you know, outside of its protection and outside of its resources. So I don't, I don't even know what we're going to find, what state we're going to find our group in when season four starts. Are we going to get numbers? Are we going to have people to, to save on a, on a day or weekly basis? But, uh, mm-hmm. but in addition, yes, there's this whole dealing with the, uh, the new situation that they're in. Yeah. Well, there's an interview that we got from worldscreen.com and this is from co-showrunner Jonathan Nolan or Jonah Nolan. And he said, what makes the show unique is that it's building very much on this tried and true format of television where you have a story of the week. Cable shows are all novelized, but a huge amount of the audience doesn't have time to watch every week. And the idea that you can turn on the television and find a compelling story that has a beginning and an end within one episode, that's the most endurable model of storytelling on television. He said, I look at the X-Files as a benchmark for how you can have your cake and eat it too. How you can have a story of the week, but also have a big, a really big, compelling genre story that is moving forward every week getting the audience that is watching every week more and more engaged. And he says, I really think that doing that model is harder than a serialized drama. You need writers who can come in and tell one compelling story, wrap it all up in one episode, but also move the ball forward with this huge arc that they are spreading out over 23 episodes. So he says their writing staff has to do all of that every episode, and it's pretty extraordinary what they do. I love this perspective, Doug, because I'm a big X-Files fan. I think that they did so much right. And, you know, that that show was so groundbreaking in so many ways. But you also do look at it where they were able to balance Monster of the Week, in their case, or or Freak of the Week, and yet have this really great, long, deep story arc that they had in that show. So um, to hear him kind of compare this show to that, at least in those terms, uh, it's like a light bulb going off for me. It makes a whole lot of sense. And I hadn't thought about it in in those terms uh, until I actually saw this, uh, I read this interview. And it does make sense that it is harder to do it this way because you can't just have a, you know, we're watching, uh, we have some other shows that we cover in Gold Spiral Media, Extent and mm-hmm. Under the Dome and, and things like that where it really is just a a story told and, you know, each week is a chapter of the story. Whereas in this case, you've got, uh, like I said, every episode has to have a beginning, middle, and an end and wrap up something there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he talks about moving the ball forward. Sometimes that ball is just a little hint of backstory. Sometimes you see some backstory of uh, John Reese and his CIA days. And you a little bit here, a little bit there. Some of that, and the, the beauty of it was some of that would be relevant to the current story. And you can see how it kind of connected with that. But there was also the larger arc that it fit into. And you had to remember a lot of this uh, this backstory here. And they would come back and say, you know, uh, you, you'd see some of those uh, uh, those scenes again later on when it when it made more sense in the in the larger uh, picture. But it's putting a huge jigsaw puzzle together. And, and, you know, they just put a piece down here and it's like, what's that doing there? And then all of a sudden when they start putting the pieces around it, it uh, it's it's amazing how that all fits together. No, I was I was I uh, totally agree that this is this is a great writing staff. Well, speaking of the writing staff, I wholeheartedly endorse two, at the very least, two Twitter accounts that are associated with the show. The one I would most endorse is the POI Writers Room. That's at POI Writers Room on Twitter. The other one is uh, Bear the Dog. I don't know the Twitter ID off the top of my head. Do you know? 
Oh, I'd have to look it up. It is a. Uh, it's in Dutch because it is in Dutch. You know, he understands uh, the the dog understands Dutch. Yeah, we haven't talked about the dog, but the dog got brought into the season and or the story in season two. Uh, they they kind of rescued him from some uh, some gang members, if you will, that were Dutch, and uh, so that's why it's in Dutch, as you just mentioned. And now he's on Team Machine, and he comes in very handy. And he they they tweet from the account, and it's always in Dutch. You have to go translate it, but it's hilarious. It's always it is hilarious. fantastic. Yes, I think it's. Bear, B-E-A-R, Day Haunt, D-E-H-O-N-D, which would be Bear the Dog in Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the writer's room, POI writer's room, I just pulled it up on Twitter. And I've only looked at the, the most two recent because they, they popped up on my screen without me having to scroll. Uh, September 10th, which would have been yesterday, the tweet is, it begins, hashtag new world order, hashtag person of interest, and it's the title of the script, I'm, in, I'm assuming for the first episode of the season, written by Eric Mountain and Greg Plagman. And do you want to know the title? Panopticon. Panopticon. That's, <laughs> that's freaking cool. Sounds like and, something out of Doctor Who. Yeah, that's exactly oh, what I'm I sorry. thought. It is out of Doctor Who. There is a, uh, I think there's something called that in there. But yes, it's a, yeah. it's a, a general term for, mm-hmm. you know, seeing everything. And then today, five hours ago, as to when we're recording, we're recording this on September the 11th, by the way, uh, Vini Vidi Vici, which helped me out. That's Latin for... I came, I saw, I conquered. Well, see, I was going to say that and I thought, no, I'm mistaken. Okay. Well, I'm glad you were, you were good on it. Again, hashtag new world order, hashtag person of interest with a sticker. It looks like a post-it note that's been stuck to a binder and the post-it note says... Elias Binder. Ah, okay, alrighty. I love the Elias character. I I said that that's the episode back in season one that that set the hook for me, and we don't get a whole lot of him, but when we do get the Elias character, those are some of my favorite episodes. And that's going to be interesting to try to bring him back, because the last we saw, he was being uh, kind of kept an eye on, held by... Detective Carter, who is no longer with us. So That's what right. happened to him after that? Yeah, yeah, but we know that he still had connections. So, yeah, I can't wait to see how he's going to come back into the storyline. Although it does say, I see some other post-it notes sticking out on the side. that says 103, 104, 106. So that's probably their season one binder, but still they wouldn't tweet this unless they had some, I wouldn't think they would tweet this unless they had some reason to be bringing him back. Uh, yeah, yeah. They would. They, they, and then they're not going to show you exactly what episodes, but yeah, that's right. That's, exactly. This is the binder for, you know, if you want to know if the backstory here, you know, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff right there. Well, let's take, uh, take a look at some of the characters in this, uh, TV show. And one of the the main characters, if not the main character, though you never actually get to see him, is the machine itself. Right. It's a uh, a mass surveillance computer system, and you know Panopticon, of course. You know we've uh, it's it's kind of been in the back. They really didn't deal so much with the feelings of uh, insecurity because you know all these cameras are watching you at the beginning, but it has really become uh, more of an issue as we went along, especially with vigilance and all that. So designed by Harold Finch and Nathan Ingram for the. Uh, for the U.S. government. Uh, it analyzes video feeds from uh, domestic organizations uh, like the NSA and foreign uh, entities like Interpol, although I think most of what it does is uh, is in and around New York City because it's that's where recent Finch happened to be. Um, but it, it's there to protect, uh, predict, uh, well, to protect the United States from terrorism by predicting it and then um, sending intelligence reports to them for the, uh, for the relevant data that allows the government to uh, to deal with it. And we saw one particular episode when we first were introduced to the character of uh, Samantha Shaw, we found out that she was working for the government in that program to deal with the the relevant and the terrorist uh, threats. So combine that, those video feeds and the AI with data from other sources like uh, phone calls, GPS, electronic transactions, that sort of stuff, email, whatever, it can predict violent acts before they happen, without anyone knowing that it's around there. Now, it sounds a little bit mo- like a minority, minority Report, if you remember that movie with Tom mm-hmm. Cruise. But they don't uh, actually arrest anybody. Uh, the police don't do it. It's These are the, the team machine vigilantes that go out and, uh, 
and uh, make sure that they that this stuff uh, people are protected or people are properly arrested for whatever they already have done. So it's not quite that minority report. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Now, up to this point in every episode, the viewer, all of us from time to time, we see events in a machine generated on screen display and there's data about each character or all the characters. So there's an identification of who they are, their activities, various records and other types of things that could be displayed. And then we also see a machine generated perspective as it is monitoring New York. You just mentioned that most of all this is happening in New York because that's where our our team has been based. Uh, Commercial airline flights are outlined by green triangles Red concentric circles indicate no-fly zones around tall buildings and other places. And then dashed boxes mark individual people. We also saw this in Washington, D.C. near the end of last season as well. So, you know, surveillance obviously is going not just in New York, but that's where the story is primarily focused. The machine classifies, and this is team machine, this is the the original machine. Uh, It classifies people... Uh, it watches by color coding the boxes that we see around them. So a white box is no threat or an irrelevant threat. A red box is for perceived threats to the machine. Red and white boxes, so if it's a dual red and white box, those are for individuals that are predicted to be violent. And then yellow boxes for people who know about the machine, and that included Finch, Reese, Ingram, when we see him in flashbacks, even Shaw and Root. So anybody that knows about the machine. And then the white boxed or the irrelevant targets include the person of interest, of course, that Reese and Finch are assisting because they don't know anything about the machine in most cases. And then members of the government are classified by the machine by a blue box. So we'll see in season four how these different on-screen things change. We did see a little bit of it last season with the Samaritan machine, and it has a different way. It has a whole different looking interface, kind of a, I think, a cleaner looking interface, really, a more modern looking interface than the one that that Finch built. But So we're going to have to kind of look at those as the new season starts and figure out how to translate all the markings of the machine, if you will, at least the Samaritan machine. The Samaritan uh, view is more like circular and curved and then whereas the machines is usually very boxy and here's specific you know rectangular video feeds and everything's in boxes or triangles but the i think the uh the samaritan one was more of a white background as opposed to the machine's black background so i think mm-hmm. it'll be obvious uh hopefully that that when we see the two uh if they ever go back and forth between them it should be obvious which is which yeah i i agree and i i think they will go back and forth i think that would be I think that was set up last season, you know, to have these two machines as the two opposing forces, and so I think they will go that route. Well, John Reese, he's the uh, he's the muscle, he's the guns, he's the guy who really goes out and gets uh, takes care of whoever it is that needs to be protected or arrested. He's a former U.S. Army Green Beret, and he was a CIA field officer. Now he was presumed dead. We saw the episode where. Uh, the CIA did try to kill him and his partner on a mission in China. And so now he's working with Harold Finch. Uh, Harold kind of uh, picked him up off the street, so to speak, I think. But he knew who he wanted to go after, and he knew that, that uh, Reese was going to be uh, somebody he could use. Uh, his last name, his real last name is unknown, but he refers to himself as Reese. Uh, military records indicate that his first name is actually John. Uh, he's used a series of aliases and uh, covers like John Rooney, John Warren, John Anderson, and and a couple of actual law enforcement people uh, personas created when he was uh, able to get some genuine badges. Very often mm-hmm. the machine will work things out so he can get uh, credentials where he needs them. Now he has been known by police officers and uh, you know the New York uh, New York uh, state cops uh, in general as the man in the suit or sometimes the guy in the suit, which. When you're in New York, isn't that like 80% of the uh, people walking around? I don't know. But they, they called him the man in the suit. They didn't, you know, if you have a criminal, if you, like if you're going for a vigilante and the cops usually don't like having vigilantes out in the street, they're usually not dressed as sharp. So it kind of made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, we find out that he uh, he lost his lover, Jessica, just prior to meeting Finn. She had left him for another guy and it affected him very deeply. 
And early on, it turns out, Jessica was one of the one of the first numbers that the machine gave to Nathan Ingram. Nathan again was one of the, the co. Um, he Finch was the brains. Nathan was the sales guy, the marketing guy. But Nathan decided to try to use it for saving people and that sort of thing. And Jessica was one of the. So that's kind of a a connection in the background. We find out later that uh, he got her number to try to save her. That's right. And of course, Harold Finch, and he also has a ton of aliases. We know that Harold is his first name, but Finch is most certainly not his last name. It's always a bird, which again, as you pointed out earlier, Doug, all bets are off when it comes to aliases in this new season. I would imagine he goes by neither Harold nor Finch or probably not even a bird name, but that'll be interesting to see if he does at least have a a bird last name. Or maybe his first name will be Robin or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That'd be great. But we've seen like Harold Wren, Harold Crane, and uh, just a slew of every every episode. It's it's if he's on, if he's involved with the case, he has a new a new last name that's always a bird. He's very reclusive. He's a billionaire. He's a software genius. Of course, having been having the skills to build this machine, we've seen a few flashback episodes where we saw that he had this innate ability to deal with computers and understand things from a very young age. One of the early phone hackers. Mm -hmm. He's developed the machine uh, that takes uh, social security numbers, as we mentioned, and uh, people with either a premeditated homicidal intent or who will become a victim of someone with a premeditated homicidal (laughs) intent. (laughs) And so it takes all the data and analyzes it and, and all the surveillance stuff. So, uh, but following a traumatic event in his own life that left him with some severe physical injuries, the explosion that we talked about earlier, uh, which also led to the death of Ingram, he then recruited Reese to help him deal with the people uh, that the machine identifies. That was his turning point to start using the machine. Um, Finch lived and worked in an abandoned library. The library got shut down and invaded by the police at the end of last season. And he has a fiance, Grace Hendricks, which is played by his real life wife. Try That's saying cool. That three times fast. Yeah. We saw her. She thinks he's dead. She thinks that he died in that explosion along with Ingram. And he keeps the fact that he's still alive hidden from her because it protects her that way. And that's why he's also living under an alias, because if if they knew that he was alive, then that poses a threat to everyone who is connected with him, not just himself. However, last year, the season finale or the episode before the season finale, she was taken captive because Decima knows everything. So they, they knew to put those connections together. They kidnapped her, used her to exploit Finch and, and to get him to manipulate him. They then blindfolded her in a prisoner exchange and they touched, you know, she started to fall. He caught her. He wasn't blindfolded. So he knew that he was interacting with his love, but she had no idea that it was him that was there to and catch her. He didn't say a word. No, cause he wanted to protect her. And so she's out in uh, Europe or, or France or Italy or something like that under an alias. Now they, they did get her out and uh, put her under an alias. So I still hope that though, that that means that we'll see her again. And I hope that they're reunited, you know, uh, they get to carry on the relationship. I hope they we get that at some point, too. Yeah, that's got to happen. That's going to be the, uh, you know, the feel-good ending kind of thing. I can see that maybe at the very end. Yeah, that would be great. Well, we had the New York Police Department heavily involved in the first and second seasons, and, and we still do. But uh, as we said, we lost a, a kind of a main character, Jocelyn Carter. But her partner at the time, and then he's been continuing to work with uh, with our team, is uh, Lionel P. Fusco. Um, he's, uh, John Reese turned him into his own source of information because he kind of blackmailed him. At the time, Lionel was kind of a, was a dirty cop. And that's how he was able to help out with the HR situation. He was, uh, the dirty cops trusted him. So, uh, so... Over time, though, Fusco has been increasingly loyal to Finch and Reese, and, and he's cleaned up his act. He has, we've really seen a very wonderful uh, uh, character arc for Lionel to go from the dirty cop that, you know, all the dirty cops know he's dirty, you know, and mm-hmm. then he has become, he's kind of redeemed himself over the course of these three seasons, and it's been great. 
to uh, to see that turn around and and it has taken it's taken its toll it's taken a, a lot from him uh especially when protecting De- detective carter a couple of times so he's been and sometimes he's the um the comic relief as well you know he's mm-hmm. he's he can uh, he can kind of be the, the the whipping boy for you know some of these the butt of some jokes and stuff like that but anyway he uh he, he's a good uh he's the inside guy for team machine but he does not know about the machine so he's not a, he's not privy to what exactly how these people know exactly what's going to happen yeah, and there was that great three-story arc last season where they were really building up Fusco to be the character that we were going to lose. He'd been captured, he was being tortured, and it just did not look good for him. And they surprised us by killing Carter, but through that process, the way that he got out of that and the, the fortitude that he showed really gave him a lot of respect, or his character a lot of respect, I think, even more than uh, than he'd already earned by re- he'd redeemed himself throughout the course of the first three seasons, but at that point, I think everyone, all the viewers, just esteemed him that much more because of of how he really prevailed through that situation and stuck with it and did not uh, didn't break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Samantha Shaw. We've mentioned her before. She's a former operative of the secret paramilitary organization named. The Intelligence Support Agency. She was the Reese of the government side of the machine. So she worked on tracking and eliminating the the real threats, the terrorists, before they can cause any harm. And then prior to joining ISA, the Intelligence Support Agency, she was a Marine. Of course, now she's no longer part of the ISA, but she works for Team Machine. <laughs> she She's not really good at expressing emotions. No. She likes blowing stuff up. <laughs> um, and we've seen it from her childhood. That was another flashback that we got. So it appears to be something that she was either born with or it, maybe it was triggered by a past event, a traumatic event or something. It hasn't really fully been revealed, but she she's very much non-emotional. She doesn't feel grief or loss. Or if she does, she doesn't know how to express it in any way. Well, she's but, not a Vulcan either. I mean, she she right. will smile at a at a few things at a at especially a joke that she has uh, told or played on mm-hmm. someone. If they if she's take, gotten the better of someone, she can she can crack a smile and and enjoy that. But but generally speaking, yeah, she just she's just there to blow things up. She's not there to uh, uh, listen to your uh, your thanks or your apologies. Yes, whatever. That's right. She's very much more comfortable. Wearing leather and carrying a gun than she is wearing a dress and carrying a purse. <laughs> Which we found out in one particular episode, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is also, and this has been a another character that has gone kind of a 180, not exactly. She's she's kind of changed sides, but it was very interesting how, how it all worked out. Her name is Samantha Groves, but she would much rather you refer to her as her hacker name, Root. Again, she's very intelligent in far as, as far as computers go. She was a contract killer at some point, but she had an obsessive interest in the machine and Harold Finch in particular. In her words, her her uh, um, her mission was to set the machine free, whatever that meant. So when we first meet her, she's kidnapped Finch in order to find the machine itself and set it free. Uh, but it's very interesting how that all turned out because we find out later that the machine itself had sent out, you know, orders or memos or directives or whatever to take pieces of it and move it elsewhere. There was a a nuclear power plant that it had been uh, located in, which is because it was taking a lot of power. So they just put it in there and all the people in the power plant thought that that was some massively radioactive room. So nobody ever went into it. But when we finally do go in there, there's, you know, some guy in there who is apparently the, uh, the caretaker or something. But there was nothing there. The machine had been gone, and he said, "Well, he's talking to his his boss. He said, well, you told me to to ship these things different places.' <laughs> well, I never did that. Well, the machine is is it's amazing what uh, how many steps ahead it can be. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, essentially, I guess it is free, but we'll see. Yeah. So having kidnapped Finch when we first meet her, Team Machine was rather reluctant to trust her, and with good reason, especially sure. Harold. Um, but the trust was built up. Slowly, naturally, I thought. I thought the the writing of this was fantastic. It was not done, uh, kind of a snap your fingers and now you're you know part of us and we're side by side and all that. No, no. 
that was really built up over the course of a, an entire season, but she now does work with them. Um, she communicates with the machine a little differently in, than Finch. Finch would get a phone call, and this is how he got his numbers. He would get a phone call, and it would be a, a kind of an automated voice, and it would uh, say, uh, you know, some words, you know, Foxtrot, uh, telephone, da-da-da, whatever. And he would go, and he, since he was in a library, he would find the uh, the books that had the first two letters of each of those words as as part of the Dewey Decimal thing. And then using the, the, the des- Dewey Decimal numbers on the books, that would read out to be the Social Security number of the person of the week. Well, she communicates in the machine by getting audio from it. You know, so it just really, it says what it wants to say to her. Uh, at one point, she has, she was being held by uh, a, a woman called Control, who was really kind of in charge of the, mm-hmm. uh, the government side of the, of the machine and, uh, you know, messed with her ear, did you, took a scalpel till it wasn't very nice. Uh, but she got somebody else to implant her with a, uh, uh, some sort of, uh, audio device into her ear now. And so the machine mm-hmm. directly talks to her and the machine refers to her as the analog interface. Uh, rather than, you know, the, with numbers and stuff like that, it can talk directly to her. And it's amazing what you, you'll see things like, uh, when she's working with Shaw, especially, she'll say, she, they walk into a room, she sits down and, and, and rattles off a number, 21863. And somebody immediately knocks at the door and says, what's the password? Uh, 21863. And now off they go, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like the machine is giving her just enough information, just at the right time to get to the next step. The next step. That's all she ever knows. Which is so cool. It's fascinating to watch that. Well, we want to give you some links to if you want to go out and explore some more stuff to get caught up or just some, some links of interest, if you will. Hey, how do you like that? This first link, we'll have all these over on the show notes over at our website, which is goldenspiralmedia.com. This is Person of Interest Podcast episode number zero. It's our introduction episode. So the first link we'll have for you is the person of interest, the essential episodes that will catch you up. So if you want to get caught up on person of interest, you haven't seen it. These are the ones that you need to watch to get caught up. This is a great article that was put together by IGN.com and it's really good. And uh, they also, not only do they, they give you the essential episodes, they give you some others. So if you want to watch more, if you have more time, but you still don't have time to watch everything. Here are a couple more if you want to watch these too. So it's really categorized and, and really laid up nicely. That there's, I mean, there's twenty some episodes, usually twenty two, twenty three episodes of a season, and there's three seasons so far. So you know, the the downside of having long seasons is that you can't really binge watch this unless you get a month, right? And you don't have that. It starts on September twenty third, so we got twelve yeah. days. Yikes. Another article, again, by IGN is called Why You Should Be Watching Person of Interest. And maybe you're like me. In season one, I started watching it. I watched the pilot. I watched the second episode. I watched the third episode. I might have watched the fourth episode, but it was right around there to three or four that I said, you know, this is a little bit too procedural for me. It's case of the week. I love Michael Emerson. I love Jim Caviezel, but I think I'm going to take a pass. Maybe you did that. And then... About episode six or seven, it started getting them really good. And then season two was even better. And season three was freaking amazing. (laughs) And so people started telling me, I didn't really watch any more of season one. People started telling me, you have to watch the show. It got so good. It got so good, blah, blah, blah. So I got caught up on season one before season two and never, ever regretted it. The only thing I regretted was that I, that I stopped watching it for a time. So Maybe you're like that. Maybe you say, yeah, you gave me the episodes that'll catch me up, but I'm still not sure. Well, go over to IGN. Again, we'll link to this article as well. Why you should be watching Person of Interest. And it talks about all the amazing things that are happening. I saw a great interview with Jonathan Nolan, the the co-creator of the show. And he said, uh, he he talked about all the surveillance issues that that happen in this show. And he says, you're probably the only show on television that started out as fiction and then became a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Especially last year, we were getting all of the the spying stuff coming out and and, um, all the government cover-ups and the, the... And it's still a big deal. It's still, you know, there have been other issues that have kind of come to the forefront, but this idea of of government intelligence and them spying on you and all the information that's out there is still a big deal. And Edward Snowden really did uh, blow that wide open. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of his name. I was like, if I keep talking, it'll come to me. (laughs) You saved me again. 
So yeah, why you should be watching Person of Interest. And then of course, a look ultimate look back. This is a video. So if you're not the reading type, you've got a video and we'll have a link to that. It's mostly and, from season three. Oh, is it? Okay. I haven't yeah. seen I hadn't watched that one yet. And the season three blooper reel because everyone likes a good laugh. So we'll have links to <laughs> all four reel. of those. That's right. All four of those will be linked. Again, goldenspiralmedia.com slash POI. That'll get you over to our person of interest page. And this is episode zero. Now we have, we were talking about a little bit about how this is, you know, like he said, a uh, it was fiction and now it's a documentary. Uh, we talked about a uh, an interview from worldscreen.com. As, as part of that interview, uh, there was two people, Jonathan Nolan and also the co-showrunner, Greg Plagman, and they asked him, how similar is the machine in the show compared to the one the U.S. government had at one point? So Plagman said, Shane Harris, the author of the book The Watchers, The Rise of America's Surveillance State, is a friend of ours. And we brought him to the show a couple of times to talk about the state of surveillance. He's way ahead of the curve, a journalist who's tied into the Beltway and understood everything that was happening with Admiral John Poindexter before almost anyone else. You might recall Poindexter had this idea going back to 1983 when there had been an attack in Lebanon on the U.S. Marine barracks. He thought we could have done a better job in predicting these type of attacks if there had been surveillance. Now, in this case, the prototype was total information awareness. The, there were a number of those projects that were being funded. The long and the short of it is that when we finally got a version of it up and running after 9-11... Congress heard about it and shuttered it in 2005, which, if, as I say on the side here, um, which is kind of what happens in uh, Season 3 where they shuttered the, uh, the machine uh, project, which was called Northern Lights in the show. Mm-hmm. All the surveillance projects then went into something called the Black Budget. We essentially <laughs> funded surveillance, only nobody heard about it. Which is essentially what we're doing with Samaritan. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, the technique goes on. The technology was out there. And the necessity for it still existed, and they were going to build it. The revelations from Edward Snowden about what the NSA is doing worldwide have brought that to bear. So, yeah, uh, this is yeah essentially a a documentary about now, you know, f- you know fictionalized and and dramatized and all that stuff. But a lot of this uh, information and a lot of the the events that are happening in Person of Interest basically are happening uh, in the world today as we know it. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Uh, you watch Person of Interest, maybe you're holding your tablet, watching it in one hand while you hold your newspaper, if you still, I don't know what a newspaper is. I know what it used to be, but uh, you know what I mean? It's like you, they're side by side and they And, they, and you've they got parallel. your, maybe after watching Person of Interest, you got your thumb over the uh, camera. <laughs> That's right. You're being watched. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Doug, um, any other developments that we need to that we need to remember going into season four? Do you want to make any predictions about season four? Where do you want to go from here? I I am tr- I've been trying to predict how things are going to happen. Now I've seen, you know, some of the the previews, the promos for this upcoming season, and my guess is at least the first two three episodes are going to be. Some have predicted that there's going to be a, like a time jumper. It's going to be six months later, eight months later, or something like that. Possibly because these uh, these new uh, identities they have, they're going to have to have settled into them. But uh, so may- maybe a little bit of a jump. I don't know quite that far. But anyway, the idea that they have to because person of interest without a person of interest, you know, for the week is not person of interest. If it becomes, and that's again, that's what Nolan said. The writers have been a wonderful, uh, done a wonderful job in creating a uh, beginning, middle, and end of a story in one week, while the larger arc has also moved forward. So I think that still has to happen. How, when these people are scattered in all their different uh, identities, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to go. Though I imagine, was the machine actually shut? The machine shut down at the end, or was it just in hiding? Or I mean, I think it was still out there. I think it's still out there, too. Yeah, I'm not sure how it would get in touch, with because I would imagine that uh, if Samaritan has the surveillance capability it does, that if the machine tries to call Harold, you know, that's going to raise some flags here. So how how do they get that that information about who who to save this week? I don't know exactly. 
Uh, but I think that, like I said, without a person of interest for the week, it really changes the show, and it might it it, it would it would be it would be quite a a, a leap there, you know, trying something really radical. But that I, I think in general that might not uh, work out well for the uh, the folks who've been watching all this time. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think you're spot on. I think it, there will still be persons of the of the week or numbers, but how those are going to come into play, I don't know. I mean, the machine could still randomly ring a phone, I would think, but how it communicates will it still give them you know alpha foxtrot types of communications or will it be more clearly just giving them actual numbers and then if it gives them actual numbers how are they going to then be able to decode that number without the systems that they had in place at the library so there's a lot of questions for sure but i would think that the machine it's weird to say this doug but i think the machine wants to still help people and to say that the machine wants implies two things thinking and and some sort of emotive intent attachment yeah like a desire to do something which is crazy to say but that's really where we're at with this thing and so i think i think that it does still want to be out there and be relevant and, and to and to do what it was programmed to do but it's also grown much much beyond what harold was able to program it to do because of the way he he really programmed it to be able to to learn and grow beyond itself or beyond its initial self. So, and that's been the, that's been the, uh, the difference that w- the stark difference between the machine and Samaritan, whereas the machine has a desire to help an interest in human humanity. Whereas Samaritan is just pure data. Yeah. So that, that's, has been the, and you know, Greer even um, considered the machine's interest in humanity, uh, a hobbling of it. You know, you can't get it to do, you know, whatever you want. And Samaritan will do exactly what I want. Well, for Finch, that was a feature, not a bug, as we say in the computer biz. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Well, before we get out of here, we've got a feature that we are going to have every week in our podcasts. And, you know, Doug and I were talking before we hit the record button. What do we affectionately call you, the listeners? We, we, we want to have an affectionate name for you, so we have come up with a nickname for all of you. Tell us what you think of it, but here it is. Doug, you want to lay it on them? Shall, shall I lay it on them? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. We are referring to all of you as the machinists. <laughs> I like it. I think it's cool. We're all team machine, so we're machinists. You're machinists, so we want to hear from you guys, and we want to challenge you or, or, or encourage you to beat the machine. That's our listener feedback segment of the week. Beat the machine. So that's where you get to chime in, tell us your thoughts of the episode, make your predictions on where you think it's going, tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, and even draw in real world situations. We talked about the Edward Snowden situation and how that really uh, was a big thing that we talked about last year. I'm sure there will be much uh, this this season as well of current events that are going to be tying into the show whether they were intended or not. So the Beat the Machine segment is your chance to tell us what's going on in your world related to person of interest. And see if you can uh, beat the machine's prediction engine and figure out what's coming next in the, <laughs> exactly. uh, in the episode and in the, um, in the overall, overall arc going forward. That will be interesting to hear what you think. Uh, you've heard what we think might happen, uh, which is we're not entirely sure. But <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> if you've got some... Uh, some inside uh, information, some uh, some prediction that you would like to to let us know about. Let us know, and uh, we'll see who can do who can actually beat the machine. Mm-hmm. So we've got some answers to throw out for you this week, even. So we've already talked about how the season three finale was a big game changer. The show is going to change in some substantial ways as we continue to move forward. So, what are your predictions for this new season? How will they get numbers? What will the conflict look like between the machine and Samaritan? And will there be any main character deaths this season? What other predictions do you have? Lay them out there for us. And you can do that in a number of ways. We've made it really easy for you. You can call us on the Golden Spiral Media Voice feedback line. That number is 304-837-2278. Or you can go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. From there, you'll have multiple avenues you can 
type us out a response. You can attach an audio file or you can click that leave voicemail button that'll pull up the SpeakPipe widget and you can leave us your recordings that way. And if you're more of a Twitterer, we have a Twitter account. It's called POI Podcast GSM. POI Podcast GSM. And uh, let us know what uh, uh, th- your own thoughts there as well. And uh, we can put those on the, uh, on the episode as well. Indeedy. And of course, we have the Person of Interest Podcast Facebook group. This is a, a dedicated Facebook group that is just for talking about Person of Interest. We invite you to come join that over at facebook.com slash groups slash Person of Interest GSM. And maybe searching for it is going to be easier than trying to remember the URL. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So look for the Person of Interest Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you over there where we carry on the conversation throughout the week. All right. Well, September 23rd is going to be here before you know it. And Doug, you're going to be there for that podcast. I'm actually going to be on vacation. So your Under the Dome cohort, Karen, is going to be filling in that week. I'm 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 sad that I'm going to miss the season premiere. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad. I'm sorry. It's not gonna be bad. It's, it's too it's too bad that you're not gonna be able to make it. But Karen and I, like like you said, we've been doing uh, Under the Dome uh, this whole summer, and so we get we get along real well. We know uh, we we work well together, and uh, she is a big person of interest fan as well. She even before you know uh, for for a while now. Yeah. So that's gonna work out well. So we'll we'll deal with the uh, season premiere while the cat's away. Yeah. Hey, maybe I'll call in for the Beat the Machine segment and, and leave you my thoughts that way. Oh, that'll be good. That'll be good. We'll need to have you in there somehow. <laughs> that'll be good. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of Person of Interest Podcast. We can't wait to get this new season kicked off. And until next time, always kneecap them when you have the chance. And always be relevant. We'll see you this season. And remember, the machine is watching. And so is Samaritan's. If your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit watching over you. 